Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Sales. Every business wants them, but how do you get them? Some people do a really good job of getting them. The rest of us, eh, maybe. So really, who has a secret? Is there an expert out there who can give us stellar advice and who also keeps his clients accountable? Well... Tonight's guest likes to get straight to the point and to keep pushing you to achieve your dreams. He won't let you give up on yourself. He was also one of the youngest radio personalities in history and was trained as a speaker by the world's most famous motivational speaker, Les Brown. He's worked with top-level talent such as Ricky Smiley, Tom Joyner, DJ Clue, Wendy Williams, and others. So you got to be talking about the one and only Dave Anderson, the business bully. Hey, he's back. What a treat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, I'm so glad I got that on tape. That's all I'm going to use from here on out. That's my intro. That was good. So great to have you back, man. I'm so happy to be here, Richard. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I'm I'm just excited to be here. I love this show. Great. Well, we love having you on it, so we hope you're a regular. You have just started a new venture that you were going to mention. Yes. uh, I started something called FreeGameAlert.com. I do a lot of short-form videos, and especially on my live videos on Facebook or Instagram, I'll say, Free Game Alert, and then I'll give people actionable information that they can use. In my industry as a business coach, as a finance guy, as a salesperson, people tend to just give people enough sizzle to get them interested, but never give them any stake. And I'm literally throwing stakes at people's heads. And the reason I'm doing that is because when I left and I retired from radio, I was broke. And I knew that Wait a minute, how could anybody be broke working in radio? (laughs) (laughs) Let let me tell you something. Our production engineer back there is really laughing. (laughs) Rob, you get this, right? (laughs) Yeah, we all can't be Charlemagne. So uh, the the thing of it was, I said, okay, I know that I have these skills and I'm going to find a way to market them. So I, I bought a $12 website from GoDaddy. And I went all in. I called every single resource I had. I beat the pavement. I knocked door to door. And while I was doing that, I got myself a PhD in sales by selling everything from gutters to home security. And I found out that there are some key things that need to happen. And when I put those key things together, you know, my clients last year made about $27 million. We're on track to do about 54 this year. And, you know, a lot of that I put out in free game alert. And I'm going to tell you the thing that's crazy. It's not the information that needs to be sold, Right. It's the execution. It's the implementation. It's the actionable information. Everybody in this room knows that burgers in abundance are bad for you. Obviously, somehow, even though I know that, I did not get my memo in my body, so I'm huge. (laughs) Um, We all know you shouldn't smoke. People smoke. You shouldn't drink and drive, but people drink and drive. You know, so it's about execution and actually sticking to something, being consistent with it and working it out, you know. And so that's why I created Free Game Alert, to give people some real good insights and some real actionable tips that they can work on in order to start, grow, or expand their business. So can you give us some examples of how execution is important in sales? Okay. So what will happen is, let's say, I'm going to sell you something right now, Richard, okay? So here's what I have for you. I have this Fitbit. I've had this thing for about two years. I've been testing it myself. It absolutely works. I do about 10,000 steps a day. I know that's hard to believe because I look like Godzilla going through Manhattan, but trust me, <laughs> I have. Now, for our listeners, he's much better looking than Godzilla. <laughs> he's exaggerating. I am exaggerating. But the thing of it is, I used to be over 600 pounds, and I've dropped over 200 pounds, and I'm still going, and wow. I got myself a brand new Fitbit, but I feel like you can use this And that's because of the Fitbit? One. 
That's because of the Fitbit. And, wow. of course, my wife telling me that if I don't lose some weight, she's not going to be happy being a widow. <laughs> and my wife is smoking hot, and I wouldn't be happy being the ghost haunting her and her new husband. So, <laughs> but getting back to this, I think that this is something that you could use not only for yourself, but you have adult children who still need your sage advice and a wife who you're building a business with who loves you. Uh, Elizabeth, you do love this man, correct? Of course. You do want him around, right? Oh, yes. What's, what's what his heart rate? Do you know what his heart rate is right now? <laughs> well, right now, actually, I'm like really beating like no. a bajillion beats per minute, I'm so, sure. He actually is not telling the truth. He works out all the time, and he does have a heart rate monitor. So he actually has a pretty good idea. But he is worried about his health. I yes. mean, yeah. as we all are, we should be at our age anyway. Right. So I need a Fitbit. You, you, you need this Fitbit specifically. All right. That's all I'm so saying. So why should I get that one? You should get this one because I've already tested it. And look, I've lost weight, and I look phenomenal. You know this one works for effect, right? And it's right here. <laughs> it's about taking action. In all seriousness, the thing of it is, you look at what someone has in front of them, what their weaknesses are. You should be able to assess somebody very quickly and figure out what makes sense in order to talk to them. I know that Richard is married. I know that Richard lives a very busy lifestyle. I know that he's an attorney. So even though he's on the move, he might not have the best diet all the time, which means that he's either working out or not working out or about to work out or break another resolution. I work it's, out a lot, but I'm still way overweight. Probably okay. 30 pounds. You're not way overweight. 30 pounds? I would kill to be 30 pounds overweight, Richard. Count your blessings, sir. <laughs> but the point of it is we don't look at things to expect when it comes to our opportunities to speak to someone. Notice I didn't harp on the price. I didn't talk about anything other than his benefits. Not the fact that I needed to offload this watch, which I do, but the thing <laughs> is, Being in radio for so long. Right. You know, but, you know, because, I mean, sometimes you have to point some things being in radio. I know. But the thing of it is, you really want to start talking to the heart of people, have conversations, and God forbid they have a spouse right there that loves them. Oh, that's right. just gold. So that's how you capitalize. Just, you know, just a couple of uh, things I teach at Free Game Alert. It's interesting. You you say you didn't really mention the price. You focused on the need, right, right. and the value. Yes. And then if you get those points, then the money follows, right? If the person says, I need this, then they'll pay for it. Absolutely. There are a bunch of people right now who are trying to figure out a way to pay for college for their five-year-old because they feel like college is important. They're not sure what that kid is going to grow up to do. That kid could be the greatest magician or singer or, you know, construction worker. But they're worried about paying for college because it's an assumption that that's what it is. And if you have the solution, like if you knew in the next 35 seconds that you were going to die and I had the way to, to cure you, to keep you around, how much would you pay to live? <laughs> everything everything right that's exactly. it and that's how we need to treat everything we need to treat it like it is dire once you find the emergency then you'll find the urgency once you have the urgency you will get the income so what do you think do people are they natural salespeople, or is it a skill that can be learned i think there's both i think that my four-year-old daughter should teach a case study every single day <laughs> daddy i want to hug you daddy i want to lay with you daddy can you pick me up like and i'm like oh my god i'm so tired i have so much to do i have three client meetings to close i've got a twenty thousand dollar call coming up but she needs to be hugged right now you know so she wins you know kids are great salespeople. strippers are phenomenal salespeople. <laughs> i'm serious I, I tell you right now if you want to save radio in and of itself first of all just get rid of all the salespeople because most of them are conditioned to push packages right. and get some strippers 
in here. <laughs> not because they're good looking. Not because they're good looking, but go to a strip club if you haven't. You too, Elizabeth. Go to a strip club. And you will see not only their resilience, but their persistence. Hey, baby, would you like a lap dance? How are you? What's going on? Can I? Did you get a drink? You need a drink refilled? Uh, why don't we go to the it's champagne am- room? And it's very relaxed. It's amazing how much you know about this subject. <laughs> I'm a DJ who spent years in radio. That means I had to get a second job. And I, I Okay, so... I only, I, I only stripped Are you, once. Are you a stripper? No, I only stripped once. No, I was a DJ. I was a DJ for strippers, and there's a lot. Oh, Listen. okay. Now it makes sense. Ladies and gentlemen, right now, coming up on that pole is Gearhart. Gearhart, turning those gears and making you swing. Wait, we don't want to lose audience here. No. I'm just, I'm completely kidding. We're not really. No, no. Complete joke. Yeah, so there is a lot to selling, and I agree with you. Some people are naturals. At Absolutely. It. Can the rest of us learn it? Absolutely. You know, can you learn to ride a bike or make a cake? If it's something that you want to do, you can do it. But the thing of it is, people try to tell people how to sell like them. I never do that. I'm a bit aggressive. I'm a bit strong. I'm a bit smiley. Everybody's not like that. Like, you guys are a lot more subdued than I am, you know? But I think if you just focus on the pain points and you focus on commonalities and you build relationship first, then the revenue comes. And I think that that's what we need to do. We need to get rid of this idea of what sales is, like it's sleazy or cheap or evil, and understand that sales is what makes the world go round. Everyone is in here because of a sale, from the from the uh, hat on his head to the, to the shoes on your feet. Everyone is here because of sales. And so once you understand that you're coming from a heart-centered place and that you're actually serving people and that service requires a transaction, then it becomes very natural. And that's how you teach someone who's not a good salesperson to be a good salesperson. So what's the difference then between sales and marketing? Okay, marketing is letting someone know what you have and letting them know where they get it. Sales is pushing the issue and making sure that they actually pay for it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a big one. That's an important one. Yeah, Yeah. I I would say so. Like to me right now, this is marketing. I'm actually showing you that I'm talented with what I say that I can do. And I'm doing it, but I have not asked anybody to pay me to be here. I volunteered to come here and I will continue to volunteer to come here because it only leads to the legend of my credibility. That's the difference. Absolutely. And I think what you said about sales actually being a beneficial and necessary part of our life today, there have always been sales, right? Like cavemen bartered. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that if you can think of it, well, yeah, so Richard has a law firm, but he's paying salaries. I mean, he has to get money from his clients, but he's using that to pay salaries, to pay the mortgage on the building, to pay our cleaning people, to pay the lawn service, to help other people support themselves. Yeah, it's people helping people, not to mention how many families wouldn't eat if Richard didn't put on his pants every day? <laughs> I mean, when that's you think a weird about way that, to think about listen, it. But... Listen, I'm, I'm feeding America right now, okay? <laughs> and that's are. just what it is. And I mean, if you look at what you do for your clients, you know, trademarking and, and, and copyrights and all those things that, that you guys do in order to help people protect their business and protect their legacies, that is huge. And why should not you be paid for what it is that you've done? You know, just the skills in and of themselves. There's a plumber that famously said, I'm not charging you $300 for one particular piece for this sink. I'm charging you for the 40 years it taught me how to make this happen in 15 minutes. That's right. That's right. Well, I guess everybody who's in business engages at some Mm -hmm. level. My particular style is to be a good listener. So when somebody calls up your heart law and they want to talk about their intellectual property, I listen. I listen to their whole story. Whatever they want to tell me, I try to get as much information as I can 
about what's going on in their business, what's important to them, what their business goals are. And then after hearing all that, I'm in a good position to make some recommendations. And I don't have to push myself. I don't have to push the firm. I don't tell them about Gerhardt Law or my experience. I just listen to the clients when they call. And it's phenomenally successful technique. And to be honest, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in their issues and trying to figure out ways to solve them. And so that's my sales technique. Yeah. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care, period. Sales is at least 80% listening and 20% talking. I just make sure my 20% counts for something. You know, it's never about me. It's about my clients. I have clients that, you know, sell uh, alumni boxes like this uh, lady named Camry Seller. She came to me. She had one school. She has alumni boxes for fans and students. And they're like care packages, but they have like official license gear for particular colleges and universities. And I knew exactly what she wanted. I knew exactly where to go with it. And I said, okay, if you come with me, we will do this and that and that and this. And by this time next year, you'll have 10. She's at about 15 right now over at uh, collegecareclub.com. And she's killing the game because once people see it, and they realize that they can do this and still be good parents for their kids, getting really cool stuff in their dorms. That works. That's not the same approach I would take uh, with Kelly, who uh, has a lingerie business for plus size women, because everybody needs to feel sexy, too. Right. So that's that's how you roll. You, you treat people individually, but you have to listen to what makes their heart sing. You have to listen to what makes them tick and what makes them happy. And at the end of the day, if you're able to help people help feed their families, you're doing God's work. So I want to ask you this question because I get varying answers to this, but I feel like for me, this is mostly true. Do you feel like every buying decision is an emotional decision? Absolutely. Yeah. Unless you have to buy a new fridge. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm sorry. Buying a new fridge in my house is completely emotional. (laughs) Well, Well, ours is emotional. We get angry at our refrigerators. They they, they don't last more than a few years. (laughs) We had a good one that died, and we got this one, and we both hated it from day one, and now it's making this noise. (laughs) It's it's, it's like two years old, just past the warranty. But, I mean, you can't throw it out and get a new one, so you have to listen to the stupid noise. But you just hit on another sales tactic that no one talks about and this is the reason that a lot of people hate sales planned obsolescence i don't care if it's a refrigerator i don't care if it's an iphone like i got the new iphone um, 11 pro that's coming to my house today ironically but these things start to break down the second they have a real big one launching you know the, these, <laughs> these washers and dryers it's like they have a little chip that here's right. the new iphones coming out and they say okay time to quit my yeah. grandfather has been dead since 1998 and he bought a refrigerator in 1983 and that thing's still runs right wow. and that's what a refrigerator should do yeah right? but not Absolutely. anymore but not anymore now it looks at you and looks at your food and sends you text messages but, but it only lasts a year right so. if, if i needed someone to send me text messages about my food oh wait i have a wife time to eat so, so, so dave you actually coach people how to sell, but you don't, every person is a custom project. Absolutely. You have to be. Now, there are certain things that are um, individual, you know, and then there are certain things that are group. So I have a group coaching part of my program. And then the other part is one-on-one where I spend time with you, not my chief of staff, not my team, me. And we talk via video chat if you're not um, in close proximity. And we go over what makes sense for you and how to work your business and what makes sense going forward as far as your profits, how much you need to spend on advertising, every single thing, because people need to know that you're invested in them. I never wanted to be the machine guy, no matter how big I got. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've heard, too, well, we would just went to this conference and 
one of the key takeaways was people are actually buying a piece of you. Mm-hmm. So they actually want you when they're buying from you. Absolutely. I say it all the time. People don't buy products and services. They buy people and stories. You know, uh, hometown kid does good. Nine-year-old kid gets a professional contract in radio, uh, retires from radio after putting, you know, four or five Hall of Famers, surefire first-round Hall of Famers in syndication and goes off and builds a multimillion-dollar business for him and his family and helping other people who are trying to be entrepreneurs leave the rat race. Yeah, that's a story. The service in and of itself and what comes with it is second to none because every time I find a hole, I find a way to plug it. I don't spend time trying to fix my weaknesses. I just hire people to handle my weaknesses. I'm a pretty decent cameraman. Angelo's a lot better. I just write him a check. Makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So one of the things that is important in sales is handling rejection. Mm -hmm. Because in sales, it's all about the numbers, right? You have to talk to 10 people to get an interview and then 10 interviews and you, you make a sale or whatever the numbers happen to be for your business or product. Yeah. Staying sharp, staying optimistic as you go through this process can be a challenge for a lot of salespeople. Do you have any recommendations, any tips for people who are struggling with the rejection piece? It's not personal. They don't know you. And I tell this to people all the time. I met a girl when I was 17 years old. I told that girl the day I met her I was going to marry her. She told me I was crazy. Two children later, she's at home waiting for me to come there. I know for a fact that she would die for me. I know for a fact that I would die for her. I don't care what you think about me. I still sleep on Egyptian cotton sheets. I have two beautiful children. My life is secure. So you telling me no, like, I don't even remember your name. Now, when I was about 16 years old, I started a collection, and it was a collection of rejection letters because there were no emails in those days. And they were from radio stations. I got one from this radio station. You know? You're getting your uh, revenge now. I mean, like, I've retired from this company. But the, the thing of it is... I held on to those like, oh, this is the chip on my shoulder. Now I'm like, okay, they told me no. And guess what? There are a lot of people out here are kicking themselves that they didn't sign me when I was a lot cheaper. And a lot of people are kicking themselves that they didn't keep me when I forced myself into retirement. I can't worry about the rejection because my kid can't eat because I'm upset over a no. I've got other calls to make. This is transactional. It's not personal. That's why I tell people to get out of their feelings and into their business. We can't take the no with us. Listen. Um, there was a movie, huge movie, number one movie star in the world, Will Smith, sat down with these directors who were not really well-known. They'd done some things, and they said, okay, listen, we've got this movie, and there's this world, and then there's another world, and in one world, it's crazy, and you're going to love what? it. And, and we, we got this thing called bullet time, and you're going you're gonna to lay down, and you're going to dodge bullets, and you lay down, and you're going to pop back up. And and, there, and Will Smith says, uh, yeah, how about no? I'm going to go do Wild Wild West. He turned down The Matrix because someone could not sell it well. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done it when he said that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, the same way Sean Connery turned down playing Morpheus. The point of it is the Wachowskis were not phased by those rejections. They went and got Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne, and it's an iconic movie to this day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You, you can't live with no. You have to live with, okay, you don't understand this. You're going to regret it. Sucks to be you. Who's next? <laughs> I love that. Can we write that down? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I just said, but it sounded good. <laughs> No, but that's a great perspective, really keeping in mind who you are and all the other things that you've got going. And when you hear that, no, it's just a small, tiny piece. And I think that's perfect advice. So I'm going to keep that in mind if uh, I ever get rejected again. (laughs) When does that happen? (laughs) Well, I think, too, like somebody at this conference we went to was saying, a third of the people don't like me. A third of the people don't know me. And a third of the people are my friends. 
you know what? That's fine with me. And that's a pretty good ratio, right? Yeah. <laughs> 33% can, of the people are your friends. My God, I need to get with You're this guy. You're walking on water, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a famous author. So. Well, then that makes sense. <laughs> anyway, we're here with Dave Anderson, and we have to stop momentarily for this commercial break. We'll be right back, though. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on WOR710, the voice of New York. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect Protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special guest, Dave Anderson, the business bully. Now it's time for our executive spotlight with Christopher Hollinger from Blackwell Hollinger. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Tell us what you do. We are a strategic finance consulting and outsourced CFO firm. Uh, myself and my partner, Lee Blackwell, founded the company a little over four years ago to work with emerging growth middle market companies that are not yet to the point where they have or need a full-time CFO, but they still need help with strategic financial issues, such as raising capital, improving their internal controls, improving their reporting, really understanding how they're making money and additional ways to make money. And so that's kind of what we do. I got to say, just from your name, Blackwell Hollinger, I feel like well, I'm going to get rich just by knowing you guys. That is a very serious name, by the way. You're like up there with Chase Manhattan or Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway. Well, well, that's one of the reasons why we named the firm as we did. You know, we think we both have very distinguished names, Blackwell and then Hollinger, and just putting the two together. And it brings to mind, like you said, some of the more distinguished financial firms, Goldman Sachs, et cetera. So did you have a debate about which name goes first? <laughs> uh, we actually did alphabetical, Blackwell Hollinger. <laughs> oh, there you go. Otherwise, you know, we'd be fighting over who goes first. So that seemed fair. <laughs> uh, so my, my, my main question is, how do you handle people whose finances are completely in disarray in their business? What are the first three things you tell them to do and what do you do for them? The first thing we like to talk to our clients is, do you know where you're making money and do you know where your money's going? So one of the things we do is we'll do a nine or 12 week rolling cash flow forecast. So we'll look at every item where cash is coming in, where every item of cash is going out. We do two weeks of actual, so that's the prior two weeks, and then we do generally seven weeks looking forward. So they'll have an idea of where money is coming in and therefore they can plan much better about how they use their money, as well as how they go about collecting money because, you know, you have to collect cash in order to spend it. Cool. Do you recommend, like, they get on, like, net 30, net 60 invoices, or what, what's your thoughts on those? Ideally, we would like for them to get uh, paid as quickly as possible. My man. You want to get, <laughs> get paid as quickly as possible, but push out your payments as far as possible. So if you can get, you know, you know payment on receipt, net 15, 
And then for your suppliers, net 30, that's the ideal situation to be in. Oh, man. Love that. <laughs> so I got to ask you, we take credit cards at Gearheart Law, sure. which we hate. We love and hate. We love because you get the money right then. Right. We hate because you pay the banks 3%. And it helps our Ooh. clients, too, because yeah. they may not always have the full amount of right. cash available. So we don't upcharge for that. Right, right. So what do you think about that? I think that if you can uh, charge a credit card processing fee, you definitely should look to do it. But to your point, you know, it is a service that you're offering to your clients, you know, being able for them to be able to, you know, push out their payments because they can pay you immediately, but they don't really have to pay the credit card or the bank for 30 days or whatever their payment terms are. So you have to think of it from that standpoint also. You know, people are so used now to not paying a service fee for a credit card. If we were to start trying to charge that, I think some of our clients would push back, you know, even though it costs us three and a half percent on every transaction. And that can eat into your margins, right? Because it, it depends it on how big your margins are, right? But right. it's an important decision for the business owner, for sure. It is a very important decision because, you know, you have to think about, like you say, getting the cash in as quickly as possible. But, you know, you have to sometimes you have to pay a little bit in order to do that. Can I ask a question? Couldn't sure. you, in effect, just roll that into the cost of whatever yes. the, uh, the service is being offered? Even Cause, better. Because that's what I do. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, like, I've, I've had every merchant processing. <laughs> Thank you for I, being so honest. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, don't you figure that in? Isn't that what overhead is for? Isn't, isn't You know what I mean? Like, for me, I, I've tried every major processor, and I have a great one right now, but still, that 3% hurts. Yeah, that's a really good point. When you're, when you're pricing your service, and that's a very important consideration whenever you're running a business, is how do you price your service? And you want to incorporate, to your point, overhead or any other fees generally when you're pricing your service because you want to maintain a certain profit margin. And that profit margin has to be big enough to cover your overhead, cover your expenses, and be able to, of course, leave you some profit at the end of the day. So that's a great question. How do you help people determine what the proper price for their product should be? Generally, one of the things we look at, it depends on the type of business. You know, if it's a service business, you know, we want to look at what are their variable costs? What is the cost involved with providing that service? For example, we work with several clients who are in the uh, digital marketing space. They would generally have to subcontract some of the services they provide to clients. So that would be in their variable costs, you know, what, they're, what they have to pay for their suppliers. Then they have you know, rent, they have their secretaries or you know, other assistants. Those are fixed costs. Those basically. are fixed costs. Right. So you have to cover your variable plus your fix. And then for every, you know, for every project, you want to build in some margin of error. Because things can, of course, be more expensive or less expensive, but generally things are more than you anticipate. And then you also want to include what is your profit margin on every product or service. What do you do if you find a company that is underwater? I mean, do you tell them where to cut? Do you do you help them recover? Is it possible? I mean, are there some that it's not possible? Yes. Uh, our first major client was actually a, a pretty significant restructuring. We had a client, the company that grew from zero to a little over $12 million in four years. Very rapid growth, but they were losing a million dollars a year, and the owner had to continually put in money to keep it going. So they brought us in to figure out kind of what was going on and how to get back to profitability. And to your point, one of the first things we did was look at their marketing spend, and we cut about half a million out of it. And the biggest reason for that is because they had no measurement in place as to what was working and what wasn't. They were just throwing money at different areas. And one of the things we try to do is take a much more strategic approach to every dollar that they're spending. Did you say you cut their their ad spend by half a million because they were just throwing money up against the wall like spaghetti? They were just throwing money against the wall like spaghetti, exactly. And what was the business? 
<laughs> it was an indoor amusement park. Yeah. Sometimes, That's you know, not like amusing. No, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out like how many trampolines are, are being bounced around where you got that kind of money to throw it around. And you're just like, oh, I don't care. As long as someone's coming in, keep it going. <laughs> That's unreal. So um, did, they, did they turn around? Yes. Yes. We were actually very successful with that turnaround. We worked with them for almost 18 months and now they're well over 15 million and they're uh, solidly profitable. Wow, that's a real success story. How did you figure out what marketing to keep and what marketing to cut? Well, we try to be very strategic. We'll look at, you know, what are the mediums that they're using, how much they're spending in certain areas, and then what is the feedback that they're getting from their customer base as to what is the channels that people actually see or they use to actually want to come into the music part. Are you using any AI to do that? Uh, at the time, you know, this is when we first started, so we didn't. Uh, we would love to start incorporating more AI as well as, you know, data analysis because, you know, we, we try to be very data focused on what we do. You want to start making decisions, not so much, you know, just from your, your gut, but also based off of facts and circumstances and data. Yeah. I, I listen, I'm a huge fan of AI. If, if I can outsource and make something happen and somebody can do what I do very easily and all I have to do is hit a button, I'm all for it because either way I'm still getting credit. It's a feather in my cap because after a while you need to remove yourself from the process. So I'm definitely not mad at that. But can I throw a scenario at sure. you really quickly? Please do. Right. So there's a guy, right, um, has a place in uh, Brooklyn called Hammer and Nails. I don't know if you've heard of it. I have it's, uh, it's, a, it's a grooming place for men. So they do manicures, pedicures, uh, haircuts, facials, the whole nine. They've got like Bluetooth speakers and uh, TVs and all this old crazy stuff, but they're not able to really turn a profit as of yet. Mm. And they're trying to figure out what is wrong. Where do you think, just off the top, if you know that someone's hemorrhaging money, but the product is good and the service is excellent, what do you think the problem is? I say it's the marketing, but I think they might be overspending in certain areas. What would you do? Well, the first thing we want to look at is, you know, we want to look at the revenue and the expenses. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would look at, are they charging or pricing their service effectively? You know, because a lot of cases, particularly newer businesses, they don't charge what they really should be charging to recoup their costs, as well as having a profit margin. So that's one thing. The second thing we generally like to look at, what are the variable expenses or are the fixed expenses? Variable, of course, expenses that increase as your revenue increases. That's important, but not so important as your fixed costs because your fixed costs are fixed regardless of how much business you're making. So if you start losing revenue, you still got to pay those fixed costs right. and you can get in trouble. You know, when we started Gearheart Law, our prices were ridiculously low. <laughs> but we got a lot of business because of it. But when you're starting out and you're new, pricing is really important because... You are new. You're not necessarily established, especially if you're an attorney or in the legal services business. People don't know if you're going to be there tomorrow, right? And so are they going to invest in you and invest in your firm? And so one of the ways to attract them is to provide great value for what you're offering. But by the same token, if you significantly underprice yourself, then it's really hard to be profitable, right? And so right, right. is there a way that you could advise small businesses on that issue? I would say that, you know, depending on if you're a service or a uh, product business, you know, to your point, you know, a lot of particularly service businesses, you do have to underprice to a certain degree because you're not well known in the marketplace. You're trying to build a name for yourself. So, you know, for your first year, year and a half, whatever, you know, you may have to charge a little lower than what you normally would. But as you build the business and you start to build a reputation, and, and that, that underpricing to me is kind of marketing. Instead of spending money on marketing, you know, that money or underpriced, what you're, you know, not spending is actually what you're using to market or build a business. 
So that's really interesting. So when you're starting out, if you don't have a big marketing budget, the money that you would have gotten through higher prices is really your marketing budget. That's kind of how I think about it. Because, you know, for us, when we started the business, we weren't really well known, but we did really great work for our clients. And now 79, 80% of our business comes from referrals. So if, particularly if you're building a service business, you want to be able to do great work, build your name, and then have your clients be the ones who actually bring you additional business going forward. So, Chris, what size company is most common for you guys to work with? Our normal client generally ranges from anywhere from a million to $25, 30000000 million in revenue, lower middle market. My question is this. What happens when a client is dissatisfied with what's going on? How do you how do you write the ship? Because a lot of times people, especially in this climate, they want everything to happen right away. How do you get them out of panic mode and then, you know, turn that, turn that situation around? I think that, you know, you, you made a really good point in the first segment talking about people, you know, buy you, not necessarily the product. And so for us, you know, particularly in the service business, you want to build a great relationship with your client and build that trust so that you're, uh, you become a trusted advisor to that person. So you help them with their business. In a lot of cases, we talk to our or help advise our clients on personal things, too. So I think that, to your point, it depends on that relationship you have with your client, how trusted it is, because inevitably there are going to be hiccups or issues. And particularly if, you know, you don't service them as well as you should, you want them to be comfortable enough that they can talk to you and you want to be able to take care of whatever that issue is as quickly as possible. So what is the most common problem? Is it the balance of expenses and income? I would say that the most common problem is clients don't manage their cash properly. To the earlier point about, you know, you, you may have net 30 for your clients, but, you know, you're paying all of your expenses now. And there's a big mismatch between your, your cash in and your cash out. So being able to manage cash, particularly in the early days of your business, is critical, and a lot of clients just don't do that well. So do you advise them to get an accountant or a bookkeeper or something to help them? I would say that, you know, it's great to have an accountant and bookkeeper. definitely would recommend it. But also you want to make sure that you have someone who's forward-looking. And that's why I mentioned one of the first things we do is we do a, a 9 or 12-week cash flow forecast because generally most accountants or bookkeepers keep your books and tell you what has happened in the past Whereas to really manage the business well, you need to look forward to where the cash is coming in and going out for the future. And that's what a CFO does. And that's what a CFO does. So how long are you CFO for these companies typically? Generally, most of our contracts, you know, are beginning six to 12 months. But majority of our clients, we've been with two, three years or more. Generally, you know, most of the time when we lose clients is one or two situations. We, uh, we lost one client last year because... They grew to the point where they wanted to hire a full-time CFO. Good problem And that's to have. a great yeah. problem to have. <laughs> right. You and did your job. We did our job. And then the other situation is when, unfortunately, some clients we can't help. And whatever reason, they continue to hemorrhage money and, you know, they go out of business. And you want them gone before they quit paying you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, yes. 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 So, yes. I have, in fact, yes. Yes. I have one last question, and that is lots of small businesses have very uneven cash flow, especially right. when they're starting out. What kind of recommendations do you give to them? Because if the cash flow is uneven, you don't know what you can spend in the future. I think that it's two things for that. You know, one all businesses, I think at some point you're thinking about having, what's their access to credit? Either a line of credit where, in like you said, situations where they do have uneven cash, they can pull down that line to cover it. Or just think about how the business is capitalized in the first place. Uh, do they have debt equity? 
because, you know, invariably, you know, even if you do have contract people, they still may not pay you on time. And you still need to have access to liquidity to be able to operate your business. So people need to come to you, one, if they're having problems, or two, if they just really want to learn how to grow more. Yes. And that's our, our two client profiles, our companies that are rapidly growing, looking to raise capital. We help them to prepare to raise capital, help them to put a plan in place to be able to do that. Or companies that are underperforming in some way and they need help. Thanks, Chris. And how can our listeners reach you again? You can find us at our website at blackwellhollinger.com. Thanks for joining us this evening, Chris. You're listening to Passage to Profit. We'll be right back after this message. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Now it's time for the pitch part of the show. But before we start, if you are just tuning in, you're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710. We have our special guest, Dave Anderson, the business bully. If you missed his segment on sale, the podcast comes out tomorrow. You have to listen to that. And we have Chris Hollinger with How to Make Your Business Profitable Using a Part-Time CFO. You can't miss that either. So listen to the podcast tomorrow if you miss that. But stay tuned for the rest of this because we have two fantastic pitches coming up. And before we start that, some vital info. When you're listening, think about the pitch you like best. And then go to the Passage to Profit page on the Gearheart Law website and scroll down and vote. That's Gearheart Law, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W. Everybody gets one vote, and the voting is open for four and a half days. And get your friends to vote, because everybody only gets one vote. And tell them to remember the name of the show by imagining walking down a long passage, maybe a short passage, with a huge pot of gold at the end, Passage to Profit. <laughs> right, and may your passage be short and your profit be huge. Now, on to the pitch portion of the show. Each contestant gets two minutes to pitch, followed by a discussion with Dave and us, and Chris, he'll also be joining us, and the best overall vote-getter gets a professionally produced video of their pitch, a $500 value. And it goes on to our YouTube channel. So let's get started. Our first pitch is with Jovan Collins with Yope Today. I don't know about you, but I've had a hard time paying my bills. I've had a hard time paying debt. I've had a hard time saving. I'm not even going to mention just getting an understanding of the investing world, but all of that combined is difficult. And you can't quite understand the stress and anxiety that overwhelms people every single month when you don't know the basics of that. So what I've done is I had to figure it out. I did my research and I consulted with people that I thought knew how to push people forward. And what I did with that was I created Yope. Yope is a personal finance club that teaches people 
how to do personal finance. Yope is there to help people feel better. Members get an updating video curriculum. They get a financial consultant to help them with guidance and accountability. And they also get perks. Member perks include things like $10 credits to products and services that they like, such as Lyft and Via. They also get complimentary access to events, and they also get freelance remote work to help boost their financial goals. Each member has a different personal finance situation. So we try to address their motivation and try to help them through the process of learning personal finance and just living their life. So most people, most of their stresses in their lives are money related. So by addressing the money component to their issue, their life improves and ultimately gets better. The purpose of Yope. That's great. So where did you come up with the word Yope? I went through a name generator and went through over a hundred words and Yope was the one that kind of stood out for me and it has a nice connotation between hope and Yope. <laughs> it's Y-O-P-E. Yeah. I didn't even know artificial name generators existed. Oh, I, yeah. I could oh, yeah. name my kid Yope or something. You Is could. That... <laughs> you could. Oh, well, I take that back. She would have never let me. So. <laughs> so what kinds of things do you do? So the whole uh, Personal Finance Club is an online and text-based service. So members log in to our website they can watch a 20-minute video that actually teaches them how to allocate their paycheck, teaches them how they should be paying off certain kinds of debt, and it teaches them the basics of investing and its saving. Then they can schedule their appointment with a financial consultant that's assigned to them. Each member gets three free consultations every single year, and we text them every week on how to redeem their monthly rewards. So people start with you, and then when they get up to a million dollars, they go to Chris. Yes. <laughs> and the thing is, it, it's perfect because it's a, a lot of transition. Yeah, it's nice and smooth. You now have the education, and now you can execute what you have going on. It's perfect because a lot of members do have uh, financial advisors, and our financial consultants work very well with the advisors because they can learn everything that the person wants to accomplish and they feel less intimidated when they go to a financial advisor or they're using the apps that have them budget or have them save or invest. So it works out very well. Nice. So I'm looking at your website. Membership is a dollar a day, so about $365 a year. Uh, it, well, if you pay for the year, it's 300 Oh, You save yourself, oh. You save yourself 60 bucks Look right there <laughs> for signing up. You already start to practice. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm rubbing <laughs> off already here. This is awesome. And what makes this any different than Albert or any of these other sites or apps out here that are helping people save money, track their finances? Like, why would I choose you over more established brands? We are completely different. And I know everyone says that, but we are completely different. We are a clearinghouse for personal finance information. Our curriculum updates regularly, so you don't have to go to like a YouTube channel to see when they post their videos or go to a blog to see the updated information. There's a lot of great articles and great material out there, but we are lacking the foundation of what is needed. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I tell people all the time, if you're a first-time homebuyer, you can withdraw $10,000 out of your traditional IRA and use it to either buy, build, or repair your home. And then people are like, cool, cool, that's great. Uh, yeah, what's an IRA? 
And then <laughs> that's why Yope exists. So you can learn about everything and then apply it when it's needed. So one of the things about personal finances is that you can kind of get started in the wrong direction. Yeah. And the longer you're going in that wrong direction, the bigger the problem gets. Snowballs. So how does somebody know that they need Yope or find you know your financial advice? Before it's too late, before it becomes too big a problem, what are the warning signs? The warning signs are definitely personal. You can hit rock bottom and then say to yourself, okay, I need to make a change. Or you can just take a second, feel how you feel about your personal finance situation, and then make the change. Can I ask a question? You mentioned that you use texts or you text your members. Do you find that um, more, much more um, effective as far as for them to follow a curriculum or what was the thinking behind that? Absolutely. So Yope is actually three years old and we started out doing things traditionally, emails, um, workshops, groups, things like that. And those are effective. However, in this day and age, we don't check emails. We don't check, as to say, sometimes we don't check text messages, but it's getting to people and how they communicate that makes it effective. We do the texting for all members, but they also have a choice to get DMs on social, whichever platform they get. Question, I'm looking at your website and I'm curious, and maybe this is just my Dave thing happening, but my mm -hmm. question to you is this. If you're about finance, then why would you pick a site called Yope Today as opposed to YopeFinance.com? Finance, the word finance, personal finance, uh, finance education, the, the words have lost its meaning. When mm -hmm. you say I'm a, a financial education company, People just glaze over it and say, oh, I, I don't need finance help. I, I'm fine with it. I, and it, it puts people in a box of thinking. Like going uh, to a chamber of commerce meeting and every other person is a financial consultant. Right. Oh <laughs> right. And then you don't even care what area of finance they're dealing with. Yeah, finances yeah. can be tough, though, because finances are the truth. Yes. And you can think about your business and your offering and your product, but the truth is in the numbers, right? right? And we were talking with somebody the other day who creates seminars. They have a whole series of business seminars. They have a finance class. It's the one that's the least attended. Mm -hmm. People will sign up for it. They'll pay for it, but they won't show up. It's, and that's a consistent uh, habit. It actually goes back to what Dave was saying before and how you're saying now, numbers are numbers and it makes sense. It's the emotion that is behind numbers, and in this case, money, and it equates to value. So that makes it difficult for people to actually do certain things, to execute certain tasks, or just change little habits about themselves that would make them prosper. And that's why, you know, Yope is there to help everyone out. We destimulize, like, just personal finance in general, just to make it a little easier to understand and more relatable. We all have the same problems, all of us. Every, No matter how rich you think someone is or how poor someone is, we all are doing the same thing with numbers and money. Can you talk a little bit more about the uh, perks component? Oh, yeah. Perks I, are great. Yeah. Everyone loves the perks. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, the personal finance part, awesome. It will help your life. The $10 credits that every single person gets right. is the thing that curbs overspending, but it also gets people out. So uh, this month is actually Lyft. Everyone gets a $10 credit to Lyft. You just go on the site, you put your Lyft account email in there, and boom, it gets deposited right into your account. Now, when you're out and you, you know, you're know, you coming back from late night or something like that, and you want, you usually would take a car home and it would kick you over budget by like $20, <laughs> now we got you. And plus the access to events, we have yoga, we have different kind of uh, local activities that people can attend for free so they can go out and have fun without spending money. 
And You'll go work off your financial <laughs> stress. <laughs> yes, <right>? exactly. <laughs> All health The downward dog. Oh, yeah. better. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what is your biggest challenge right now with your business? Right now, it is the destigmatizing of personal finance. It's ingrained in us for centuries, and that has been the biggest challenge. However, we kind of hit a good streak because our members are also very talented. So our freelance remote work that we offer our members is actually them speaking about their financial situation in the form of dance, art, singing, all that stuff. So they get paid to express how they feel about personal finance, which connects other people to personal finance. You mentioned that you're three years old. Could you talk a little bit about your your growth and your customer acquisition through that time period? Yeah. So I started out doing workshops in a WeWork in Brooklyn. And mm. it was, uh, I know lectures and workshops. So you have a room full of 40 people and no one wants to raise their hand. No one wants to talk. You are getting lectured to. So I started out doing workshops with 10 people there. I would take financial advisors. We'd go through the gauntlet, budgeting, saving, investing, all that fun stuff. And it was very cool, but people wanted a little bit more. They wanted that personal thing, so we added the financial consultant to things. And then we said, okay, we shouldn't limit it between 5 and 6 p.m. Monday through Fridays. We should open it up online and have it where someone could sign up at 2 in the morning and take care of all their stuff and then meet with someone when they're awake. This has been fantastic. What is your website again? It's yopetoday.com. So if you think, like, you have to yope, just do it today. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a dope. Make sure you yope. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> TM. So it, it kind of takes the anxiety out of your financial planning. So Javon Collins with yopetoday.com, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, Contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Sponsored by Gearhart Law. And if you're interested in intellectual property, you have an intellectual property issue, or you're thinking of starting your business and you need intellectual property protection, make sure you go to our website, Gearhart Law, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. You can check out the bios of our team members. You can read about patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And there's a wealth of information there for you. And you can also check out our Passage to Profit page. Now we're on to the second pitch of the evening. And with us is Asinja from the Pearl Dream Incorporated. Asinja, you've got two minutes. Go. Hello, everybody. I'm Asinja with Dream Galaxy TV. And I'm here to share my story, but also the story of our company. I'm originally from Uganda. I, being in New York, 
watching a ton of television led me to realize how much of African stories or other stories from other parts of the world weren't really being distributed by the major media platforms. Uh, and this led me and my business partner to uh, explore starting our own studio. But we also realized that even if we had produced the content, distribution wasn't very easy because it takes a lot of convincing to show why there's need for more diverse stories. Statistically today, there's still less than 10% female directors in movies, and, and we continue to see uh, really stories from other parts of the world not get a variety of support from Hollywood. So rather than wait for Hollywood to sort of change, we decided to start where we were which was with our own stories. And over time, we've seen a response from other storytellers from all parts of the world respond to that need, especially in creating stories, but also in teachers using these stories in the classroom. So we describe Dream Galaxy now as an educational platform uh, with stories from all over the world uh, and, and really leveraging both uh, science and technology, but also storytelling to increase student engagement in any subject, whether it's science, history, geography, uh, as well as the arts, as if you think of just the need for more creative uh, skills in the classroom as well. So our business model is very simple. It's uh, $5.99, $5.99 a month for home use. Uh, so you can think of this as a family subscription. But for schools, we tend to bill on a semester or annual basis. So it ends up being about 2400 a year for about 100 students. And that's where we're beginning to see more interest from educators who really enjoy just having a supplementary learning material that they can then use to either start a classroom or, or introduce a certain topic, uh, knowing that the, the material they're using is actually from those countries or those regions that they're teaching about. And that's an area that will continue to build on as, as education becomes more global and, and people feel the need to understand other cultures so they can not only get along with those communities, but also do business as well. So, so we see that as an opportunity that we'll continue to leverage. Asinja, thank you for doing that. How is the content actually delivered to the students? Sure. The content is actually delivered through a platform, an app. Uh, right now, we're mostly on Android, so a lot of schools have Chromebooks, uh, Google Chromebooks, which uh, Google for Schools supports that. So the app itself can be available uh, on, on all Android platforms uh, or devices, which includes phones, tablets. Uh, even Android actually works on uh, uh, Amazon uh, smart TVs as well, so we were able to just without building any other platform, submit directly. We used to have the iOS version, but we've decided to, as a business, we can reach a lot more people just on Android. So we want to perfect that experience first and then build the iOS experience a little later because uh, iOS currently is about 4% of the global market share. So we're starting with the larger numbers so we can get some good feedback. So say right. somebody in Uganda wants to make a film about how they produce musicals there or something. Right. So they film it themselves on site in Uganda. So you actually get to see Uganda right. instead of like a set in a Hollywood set, right? Right. And then they send it to you and... Submit you... via the website or... Okay. We, yeah. And then do you curate that? Do you edit it? We, we actually, and, and that's, that's something that we've sort of uh, struggled with. So we are launching, a, 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 we've started with a mobile fast film festival. We do have weekly, based on the data, do announce what some of the top films were from the platform. Uh, and so we have people that just submit more from a film festival format just to get that quality. But as a platform, we don't want to be the curator of what makes a good story. We rely on the audience 
through their engagement because the numbers will tell us on what stories are being watched on a weekly basis or monthly basis what the great stories were and our, our creators also rely on that data for the feedback so what we are also doing different now is also we just sent a, a group of about 30 teachers here from new york to nairobi kenya to just have a student exchange program training teachers there on using storytelling and technology in the classroom and they're headed to haiti next and so we're seeing this uh, becoming more of a global movement where educators just want to interact with each other and so we rely on those communities as well to tell us the kind of stories they're looking for and to train other teachers on using our platform so uh, it's really evolved from just being something we were just building watch at home binge watch <laughs> some content uh, to really being a community of learning uh, through this uh, multicultural content experience and so we do work hand in hand with teachers to say okay what kind of reporting do we need to build so you can find stories faster? But also with the kind of reporting we're doing now, you can see what kind of stories are being watched in your city uh, versus the city. Like so right now, some of our biggest users are coming from Brazil and India, which we, you know, we didn't think of that in the very beginning. I mean, we did have a goal of slowly hitting those regions down the road, but it's nice to kind of see that demand show up because everything is online. And so I do think that as we become more of a global platform, we will rely on teachers coordinating among themselves what makes, uh, especially with classroom alignment, they tend to have a better sense of what complements the curriculum they're using. And so that's one part. The other part is also the parents also know best what's good material for their kids. Uh, the, the most uh, number one question we get is, do you have content from my country or do you have content in my language? So curating by language and location or geography has been like the first lens. But we think other things like film festivals, whether it's every three months, kind of having more talent recognition over time can help improve that quality. Uh, I think uh, right now the core need is representation. People just wanting to see something in their language and also for teachers to feel like they're not teaching like a false history or false narrative. So, so for them knowing that this content is coming from these very communities that they're teaching about, whether it's the Caribbean, whether it's Brazil, whether it's India, whether it's China, makes them that much more comfortable teaching about a particular topic or language. Talk to me about your revenue. And secondly, yeah. if I'm just a lay person on the street and I would love to consume some of your content, right. how would I find you? I mean, right. I, I tried to look on my iPhone, and now I found out why that's not going right, to work. Right. But, um, <laughs> right, we do. We will track that you looked for us, so we keep a track of those searches. But we will be sure to retarget or, or, or find a way to reach you. So, so Dream Galaxy is actually one word. So, if you typed Dream Galaxy, if you had an Android or or other sort of Samsung device, Chromebook even Amazon, you would be able to find uh, the, the app. The fastest way people find us most is through social, uh, and the social handle is I Trust Culture, and the website is thepowerdream.com. So social is really where we're daily just engaging, again, because our tagline, for example, is, is Trust Culture, and so we, we've started partnering with travel companies as well to, to really make sure that those communities that uh, we can engage them through both tourism because as the person mentioned uh, there first, like all these communities have the capability to craft and own their own stories. And so we want to continue to empower them and to say that you don't need to leave the community you're in or fly to Hollywood to make a great film. You can make it in your community. And then when people watch that content, they'll be able to actually visit because now they've learned about it. So there's a huge implication and we're constantly also trying to collaborate with governments even to say how do we use tourism and film to really highlight all these regions. So we see a lot of room for growth in these areas. Uh, back to your question around revenue. So 
we've seen more and more interest come from the education sector, which is why we're pivoting from just being an entertainment platform to being educational. And the reason is there's global need for training people for the future of work. So mm-hmm. uh, as machines and computers do more things, empathy and creativity and, and actually the humanness does become more skills that are going to be more relevant. And, and storytelling becomes a huge part of that. But also understanding other cultures that, that you're expanding into as, as everything gets online. So uh, we see that being at the, at the core of, of what we're doing and the integration in the classroom so that as people are teaching computer science, that the arts and the creative space also has a role to play. And as you had even the, the other person pitching, yup, talk about how even finance like storytelling does play a role in helping make that much more relevant to people and individuals. So we do think of storytelling as the tool and then the cultural relevance, really customizing that experience both in the classroom and at home and then the communities benefiting directly either through tourism or through the revenue from the production. 80% of our revenue goes back to the filmmakers. Mm -hmm. So our cut is about 20% from the monthly or annual subscriptions. Uh, And again, it's about $5 a month for monthly subscription for users and for schools about 2,500 for 100 students and and that's the model we're working with so far. Yeah, follow-up question on your cost basis I guess. Yeah. Uh, we, we were talking earlier about variable versus fixed cost right. and as you mentioned I guess uh, the biggest component of your cost would be variable then because you're sharing revenue right. with the uh, people who actually produce the content. Right. Can you talk a little more about that and then kind of give us some idea of what your fixed cost would be? Currently, our fixed costs are really just office space and some of the core talent uh, resources that we have, uh, which is about five people. Uh, like I said, working with partnering with teachers and other nonprofits that are really helping us get into schools has lowered our marketing costs because they already have budgets. And it's nice to have people that believe in your product and then be able to help you sell that. So we're really looking forward to expanding into more schools by leveraging these educational networks that are already doing that work organically. We just provide the, the collateral and and videos or go on trips with them. But I also think the other way we've been able to lower or minimize the fixed cost was to not try to open so many offices in different locations. So partnering with co-working spaces in other countries has been a way to then engage the creative communities there and then just focus on the curation, maybe hosting film festivals here and there to keep the brand relevance there. So using that remote model of satellite locations really is going to help keep our costs low, fixed costs low in the long run. That's good. Uh, and then as we go into production, it's a focus more on, on, on originals than licensing or paying for content up front. Yeah. If I wanted to watch a film produced in Uganda, right. how would I translate it? We do support closed captioning as well as other options. What we stand for as a platform, though, is to say that you don't have to wait to only have your script in English for you to think about making a movie. What we're saying to people is your story matters the way it is in your language. So whether it's Portuguese, whether it's French, you can create that story. And there's French people all over the world that want to see that story as is. Uh, and actually, statistically, right now, even uh, Hollywood movies are making more money in, in China once they're dubbed or localized to, to Mandarin and other. There's more revenue being made internationally through media than through the U.S. market because it's saturated now. So what we're saying is you can create the original story in your original voice, and then you can create a derivative, and either you can like collaborate with another agency or studio to dub and, and transcribe it, but we will distribute it 
even in its original form. So because there's always, you know, a diaspora or people from other countries living in other countries and everybody studies abroad now. And so for what people care about now is, as I mentioned earlier, do you have a story from my country or in my language? And can I watch it anywhere? The reason I bring that up is I love watching films from other countries shot in those countries because I've never been there. Yeah. And I really am curious as to what they're like. I think this is fantastic. Yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, it, it gives it a more original experience and, and we're seeing more and more of that. Uh, I think it's just a matter of these other countries themselves capitalizing on that tourism factor that I said of, of almost mandating a certain percentage of a film to be shot there. And we saw some of this controversy with the film uh, Gods of Egypt where... Almost all the crew was Italian, <laughs> and and they wanted to shoot in Egypt, and, the, and so Egypt was like, we're not gonna, you know, endorse that film because we don't even have any Egyptian actors in that. So, so we do think uh, the term we use is sort of like the authenticity of the story, and and uh, and I do think that to your question though. I think you'll start to see more of a, a mix in production where a little bit of the local language is used, but maybe most of the story is in English, but for certain expressions or certain scenes and setups, because some things may get lost in translation, it just is much more truer to the story when they present those in like a local language like Swahili or or whether it's Arabic in, in Northern Africa or Spanish in Latin America. So I do think we'll continue to see that, and, and we're happy to see Hollywood try to be more and more diverse, but I think it will take them time, and, and I think the stats show that since four years ago, they were, you know they tried to change themselves. Four years later, there hasn't been any major change as far as... Uh, uh, women representation and other things. So, you know, we're just kind of starting from an idealistic way of where the world would be if everybody's voice and story was uh, treated equally. And we want to be an alternative space for that level of storytelling. And we're happy to see teachers and other families support that. Two things, if yeah. I can. First, looked at your website. Phenomenal. Love it. Um, two ways I feel like you're cutting your nose off to spite your face. The first is if you are a platform that's based on showing people different aspects of the world that they'd never see, how come the first thing that I, I, I don't see on your site is a video? Secondly, if you have all of these different pieces of content coming to you automatically, why not create another revenue stream where you could actually pay people who are in that dialect to voice over? Right. And you can make money from the voiceover artist to be on your platform so that people can choose a voiceover artist that speaks in their dialect because Puerto Rican Spanish is not necessarily Mexican Spanish. You understand what I'm saying? On top of that, you can also charge the filmmakers or content creators to uh, have access to these voiceover uh, people and these overdub people so that you can make more money as opposed to just saying, OK, we're making a lot more money over here. Let's pivot here because I'm a consumer of the world. Right. You know, and I want to be able to watch stuff in my language, even yeah. though I, I like to read, but I don't have time. Right. You know, and that's another problem with your site. Not not only do you have to fight people like me who don't like captions that much because I don't have time to read, <laughs> but I'm also busy. And when I look at your website, I don't have time to read because I just ain't got time. Right. So um, those so are just my suggestions I off the top of my love head. It. And I think for the, the, the whole uh, talent sort of... Um, I, I'm, I'm going to just use the term outsourcing. So having extra services, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's uh, closed captioning or dubbing or, or even production as well, mm -hmm. getting production support. That's something we're already piloting behind the scenes, sort of uh, bringing in more partnerships, as I said, trying to partner more with the tourism industry. So as people are visiting, like these talents can also be, if you're in a location, if you're visiting a city, you wanted to shoot something, then you can have access to, to these uh, local talents that you can then use in your projects. Thank you so much I for joining us. Yeah. 
and telling us about this fantastic project. Let our listeners know where they can find you. The website is thepowerdream.com and the social is at I Trust Culture. Thanks so much. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt and our special guests this evening. Dave Anderson will be right back after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law. www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. Remember, everyone, to go to the Passage to Profit page at GearheartLaw.com, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W, and vote for your favorite project. To summarize, we have Jovan Collins with YopeToday.com. His social media is at YopeToday. That's Y-O-P-E today. And Dave said during the break that he should get T-shirts for everybody on his staff saying that they are all Yope dealers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And then, <laughs> that was good. So then we had a Sinja with thepearldream.com. And his social handles are I Trust Culture at I Trust Culture. And he has Dream Galaxy TV. Don't forget our guest, Dave Anderson, the business bully at thebusinessbullyshow.com. And Please don't forget our executive spotlight, Chris Hollinger with BlackwellHollinger.com. And one more thing for Dave, FreeGameAlert.com. And so now Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. Remember, you can only vote once and you have until next Friday at 10 a.m. to vote. The best overall vote getter for the show will receive a professionally produced video of their pitch, a $500 value. So before we sign off, I really want to say thank you to everybody who came today. I know you had a heck of a time driving up from Philly, Dave, so extra thank you to you. <laughs> Any final words, Dave, before we sign off? Uh, yeah, I think it's important to make sure that you're passionate about what you're doing, but I also think it's more important to be strategic about what you're doing. And a lot of times people just say, but I love this thing because it's wonderful. It's making me so happy and I just love it. And you're broke. And then you see the financial guys. Right. I mean, which, is, which is great for Chris. You know, if, if you're broke, if you're hemorrhaging money, go see Chris. But I'm trying to stop you from having to see Chris by actually focusing focusing. <laughs> in on, on those fundamental things that no one likes to do. You got to make sure you have some type of paperwork. You got to make sure you get some bookkeeping. My God, stop running from bookkeeping. I don't <laughs> like it either. You know, and honestly, I just want people to take the part about their passion that they love and transfer it over to the part that they need to do that they don't necessarily like. You know, I love the glamour stuff. I like radio interviews and things of that nature. But I've learned to love the process because the process makes me more money. And that truly is your passage to profit. Super advice. So I do have some more people to thank. Our media maven, Kenya Gibson. Our scrumptious producer, Noah Fleischman. Our incredible engineer, Rob Barretts. And the whole iHeart team. And listeners, don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of pitches. And you can start thinking about what your pitch will be. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, 
Instagram and Twitter. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt from Gerhardt Law on iHeartRadio with Passage to Profit, WOR 710, the voice of New York.